for those of you who are new uh, to our study, John 14 and 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, because we have, or I say we, a lot of people have the wrong understanding of what this word love means, they're confused by what Jesus is saying. So if we go to the original language, we see what Jesus is saying here is, if you agape me, keep my commandments. If you agape me, keep my commandments. The Lord just prompted me because during worship, he, he gave me something that he wanted me to say uh, to you as we got started this morning to kind of provide a context for where we're headed, okay? So um, you might want to write this down, okay? Um, stop treating him like he was your idea, okay? He was not your idea. You are his idea, okay? Amen. And see, Philo, without agape for the Lord, will have you treating him like he was your idea, Okay, um, you didn't imagine him. You didn't dream him up. Okay, he imagined you. He dreamed you up. He he had you in his heart and mind before he ever created the earth and put Adam and Eve in it. Okay, all right. So let's get back to this. So he says, "If you agape me, keep my commandments." And so the two words uh, involved here are the word philo. Um, which is also translated love in the English New Testament. But philo means something different from agape. Philo is the warm, fond, affectionate feelings often associated with friendship. This is what we, our minds go to when we hear love, love, love. We think warm, fond, affectionate feelings. Okay? But what we see used far more often, far more frequently in the New Testament, uh, when Jesus spoke and others, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke and wrote, is they didn't use the word philo in the original language. They used the word agape, also translated love in our English New Testament. And it means to esteem. And to esteem means to make a valuation. Um, it's a determination that you come to in your own heart. It's a personal thing. To esteem, indicating a direction of the will. So this kind of love is talking about something you do based upon a valuation you have reached or determined. Agape includes the ideas of obedience, duty, respect, devotion, service, and faithfulness. Now, I'm not going to have time to get to it this morning and maybe even not next Sunday, but in the days ahead, we're going to, we're going to talk about what we introduced the service with this morning. And, and I think, and I, I'm not a fan of this expression, but I think when it comes to our disdain for religion, we have thrown the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. In other words, we've recognized that religion is a man-made effort to try and have fellowship with God, and it'll never work. But in our effort to distance ourselves from religion, we have let the baby of respect for God sail out the window with the water of religion. Are you still with me? Amen. And so, again, our I'm not religious i have a relationship with jesus okay bethany was talking about someone who recently made a a comment to her she said i'm a christian i just don't uh act like one is that what she said is that how she said it because i'm a christian i just don't act like one well okay i mean i'm not anybody's judge but obviously we've missed the point of what jesus was trying to do in our lives right he's trying to change us inwardly so he could change us the way we live outwardly and the context of that comment was um that she doesn't she basically is not an overbearing religious person. Well, listen, we, we can express our respect for our Creator 
without being religious and having an overbearing religious spirit, okay? And so a lot of times when we, when we hear these things like duty and devotion and service, a lot of times those words kind of trigger that um, religious gag reflex in some of us, right? You know, we start talking about tradition and ritual and these kinds of things. It's like, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's something religion in us wants to kind of cough that back up. But again, that's, that would be throwing the baby of respect out with the bathwater of religion, okay? So again, um, he wasn't your idea, you were his, okay? So agape then is completely different. So when Jesus said, if you agape me, keep my commandments, he's saying, if you value me highly, if you have um, uh, uh, you know, a high estimation uh, of my worth and importance to you, if you respect me, Okay, so I told you that there are um, uh, two words, agape, I said the one word that I want to come to your mind when you hear that is respect, it means more than that, but that's the first thing I want you to renew your mind, recondition your mind to, is that when we're talking about agape, we're talking about respect, we're not talking about feelings, we're talking about philo, again, philo is more than feelings, but, but philo is feelings-based love, okay, so agape, respect, feeling, uh, philo, feelings, all right? So when Jesus says things like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, and do, not do the things which I say, all right, that's Luke six forty six. We call him Lord, Lord, because he has a special place in our hearts. That's uh, uh, philo, right? But we do, not, we do not do what he says because we do not respect him enough to do what he says. Are you seeing this now? I'm not here to beat anybody up. Listen to me. I'm not, but the Lord spoke something to my heart uh, a few months ago that um, philo for him without agape for him is one of the greatest problems today in the body of Christ. There are a lot of people that Jesus has a very special place in their hearts, okay? Um, that's philo, all right? Um, and they're somewhere doing something else this morning. <laughs> and they still have that philo in their hearts. It's not, again, I'm nobody's judge. It's just, amen, they, 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 they love him enough uh, to get teary-eyed when they talk about him but they don't respect him enough uh, to do what he desires and wills for their lives. Amen or me on that one, okay? So if you never learn to respect the Lord, you'll never learn to trust him. Now, I only have, you know, a, a, a certain amount of time each Sunday to try to present these things to you. And, th- and this, there's just a lot to this. And some of the things, and I, and I was hesitant on saying this, but I really feel like the Lord is, is, um, is showing me that I need to at least mention this to kind of give you an outline almost, a a skeleton almost, uh, that we're filling out, okay? So remember, our our main lesson, we haven't used the word yet this morning, is learning to trust God. But see, you either trust God or you don't, and there's only one way to learn to trust Him, and that's to trust Him, okay? And so why is it so hard to trust Him? Well, watch this now. Um, What we agape, we worship, and what we worship, we serve. Now, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. That word serve there means that which you place yourself under as a dependent upon. Okay? So, what we agape, we worship. What we worship, we serve. And what we serve, we trust. Are you seeing this? Nobody even nodded or anything. Are you just, is it Selah moment or you got that again? Okay? So what we agape, 
Now, see, agape is all, it, agape begins how? It, with an, an, an estimation where you esteem something, you value something, you determine what it's worth to you. Remember Jesus said the man found a pearl, he was a pearl collector, pearl merchant, had probably, I don't know how many pearls, right? But he found that one, and he sold everything that he had to buy that one, not because he was wanting to lose money, but because he recognized that that one pearl was of more value than everything else he owned. So he says the kingdom is like this. In other words, we, and, and this is something you have to do for yourself. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Who is he to you? What does he mean to you? What is he worth to you? Okay. So this is, this is all a, a key factor in agape, right? Agape is, is to esteem. It's love based upon an, a, an, a personal valuation, okay? So you value, and because of the, of the value that you place, high or low, right, this determines how you respond, if you will, um, to that person, to their opinions, to their wishes, to their desires, so forth and so on. But whatever it is you agape, right, that you place a high value on in your life, that's what you'll worship. And whatever you worship is ultimately what you will serve. See, we, we, we're trying to, don't misunderstand me, we, you know, we're trying to serve God without, it, out of, out of um, this is where religion starts creeping in, right? His father just wants you to do something for him. Did he say if you're obedient, you'll eat the good of the land? He said if you're willing and obedient. See, there's a lot of folks, we talk about folks who are elsewhere this morning, there's also a lot of folks all across this country, all across the world this morning, they're in church, but they don't want to be. Their bodies are here, but their hearts are far here, right? You know, why do you draw near me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, right? So this idea, there's no faking this. That maybe is a good way of saying it. We, we can fake a lot of things when it comes to our walk with the Lord and our fellowship with the Lord and what we... You know, we've traded in the body of Christ true spirituality for just making other people think we're spiritual and all that. There's a lot of that stuff you can fake. But there's no faking the valuation that you place on, on the Lord and, and, and what he's done for you and who he is to you, his power and his wisdom. And the, and the degree to which you value that, you esteem that, okay, then that is going to determine your worship. And if it's not him, it's going to be something or somebody else, you see. And if you follow the trail from agape to worship to looking to for becoming dependent upon trust is almost a byproduct of all of that okay it's getting quiet amen are you still thinking so what do we say we said esteem ultimately facilitates trust to facilitate something means to make it flow naturally or to, or, or to make it much easier to accomplish now we've talked a lot about respect and reverence and i'm and i'm i want to go back and review some of that but but let me just if i could real quick like um to to uh to truly respect the Lord, we're talking about three things. We're talking about revering Him, we're talking about deferring to Him, and we're talking about preferring Him. Now, a lot of definitions that you, that you will look up when it comes to respect, those definitions only include the concept of reverence. And to reverence, not just God, we think of reverence belonging only to God, but, but we, can, we can revere right, other people which just simply means we hold them in high regard. Okay, you follow me? Um, so that, you know, if you hold, let's say you hold like, like I do, I hold my father in high regard. There's a lot of people in this room that hold my father, I'm talking about my earthly father, in high regard. He's a wise man. He's in his 80s, he's lived a lot, he's seen a lot, he's done a lot, amen, and he's, he's not a man of a lot of words, but if he ever looks you in the eye, especially if he's got tears in his eyes and he says something to you, you better listen to him. Okay? So, 
you know, I hold him in high regard. That's respect, you know. But, but respecting my father is more than just holding him in high regard. Are you following me? This is where Philo will deceive you into thinking you respect God when you don't because, man, I hold God, I hold God in high regard, okay? But only holding him in high regard is, although that's a good thing, you can do that and still hold yourself in higher regard. You can have a very high opinion of God and have still a higher opinion of yourself and, 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 and never defer to him or prefer him. So when we talk about respect, we're not just talking about holding our Father in heaven in high regard. We're also talking about, def- to, we're talking about revering him, but then to, um, to defer to him is, um, is when, let me just get it right here, praise God. To defer to someone is to give them place ahead of yourself or above yourself because of your esteem for them. Are you seeing this? I'm doing what I said I wasn't going to do, but maybe I'm deferring to what the Holy Spirit needs us to do this morning, okay? You got a few more minutes this morning? All right, we got some really important stuff we need to get to, but here we are once again on this. Um, in the classes I teach in the mornings at the Foundry, some of you in this room have been in those classes, right? We, we have a good time. Sometimes I'll teach on something for two weeks, then um, at the end of that second week, I'll ask somebody a question, and they always look at me like crickets, and I'm like, you know, what in the world, what do, you know... Lord have mercy, you know what I'm saying, if it, you know, amen. So, is any of this sound familiar to anybody in the room? Okay, all right, okay, all right. So, to defer is to give that person a place ahead, to give them place ahead of yourself. So, think of holding the door, that's the example we gave. You have tremendous respect for someone, uh, an elder, uh, someone who's dealing with some kind of disability, um, a child, in other words, when you hold the door for them, you're letting them go ahead of you or you're placing them above you. And then to prefer someone is to choose their way or desires instead of your own because of your esteem for them. So do you see how this works? It's not just holding Father in high regard. That's, that's to um, revere Him. But you can revere Him and never defer to Him or prefer Him. Okay? So... I can hold you in high regard and still regard myself and my opinions higher still. So true respect is all three. It's to revere, and that's, that's where it begins. But then it's to defer and to prefer. Now, we revere the Lord. Why? Because of who He is and because of the power and wisdom He possesses. We can expand that, and we will as we, as we go along. Because ultimately where it, where it starts becoming personal is when we revere the Lord because of, of who He is and the power He has and because of, of what He has done for us in His position of our Creator Father and the tremendous gifts and sacrifices He's made on our behalf. Now, we are, um, <clears throat> praise God, reverence then is personal. Okay? Reverence is personal. If we get that far this morning, I'm going to make this point about worship. Worship is personal even if you do it in a corporate setting. Are you following me? In other words, you you can be in in the midst of a whole bunch of people all singing the same song at the top of their lungs, 
and that's corporately, you know, we're, we're praising God, and, and, and as a body of believers, we're, we're worshiping Him, if you will. But even if you practice it corporately, worship still is a personal thing. In other words, you can be in the middle of a whole bunch of folks worshiping God and never worship Him yourself while you sing the same song they're singing. Okay, so reverence then is personal. It's not just who He is. It is who He is to you. See, that's where the personalization comes in. It's not just what He's worth. It's what He's worth to you. It's a personal valuation. Just, be, you know, just because somebody in your family has, has high reverence, you know, deference and preference to the Lord, that doesn't necessarily mean that you share that as well. You see, Philo will sing all day about the worthiness of God, but what does that really mean to him if you value your opinions about life and living above his word? You see the difference there, right? You, you, have, you have feelings for God. He has a special place in your heart. And so, man, let's get on with it. Let's sing it. Come on, that's my favorite song, Pastor Matt. Sing it louder. Sing it again. Let's run. Amen. I'm not, if you think I'm belittling all that, I'm not, okay? But see, Philo can do that all day. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If you agape me, trust me enough to do what I'm telling you to do. So the reality of it is this, Father is worthy, and I know how to spell worthy, but you notice what I did there, because see, worthy and worth, notice how that brings us back to estimation, that brings us back to esteem, that brings us back to the valuation you have of Him in your own heart. Father is worthy of every word of praise and exaltation you can give Him in known and unknown languages, but it all rings hollow in His ears if He is not worthy of your trust. Now, Matthew 15, 8 and 9, we looked at these verses at the end of last week. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so notice what that results in. And they worship in vain. In, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We see in John 4 where Jesus told the woman at the well, verse 24, that God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 23. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship Father in spirit and truth, for Father is seeking such to worship Him. Guess what? He's still seeking such to worship Him. Men and women who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Okay? True worshipers. Somebody say that with me. True worshipers. So Father is looking for true worshipers. True worship includes, guess what? Reverence, deference, and preference. So philo without agape for the Lord produces phony and futile worship. Feelings without respect for the Lord produces phony and futile worship. Do you see what I did right there? What did I tell you I want you to think of first when you hear philo? I want you to think feelings. What did I tell you I want you to think of first when you hear agape? I want you to think respect. So do you see how if we take philo and agape out of that sentence and stick feelings and respect in there, how it changes and amplifies the meaning. When we have feelings for God without respect for Him, it produces phony and futile worship. And then notice the parentheses under there, because this is a huge one right now, okay? No matter how it makes you feel. All right, you still going to love me after I'm done? Amen. All right, so listen to me now. Worship has become so much about feelings. All right? Worship has become so much, and we even talk about, you know, 
uh, adding to our worship experience. Okay? <laughs> right? In other words, it's become so much about how it makes us feel and, and what we experience when we are doing it. Okay? Um, that's not worship. You see, presenting your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, according to the Scriptures, is your reasonable worship. Okay? Now watch this. Are you still with me? Our philo-based, feelings-based approach to worship deceives us into thinking God is pleased if the experience caused us to feel something. We leave out of here thinking, man, we just worship God's socks off this morning, right? Because we felt this amazing chill bumps and this excitement in the atmosphere. And I mean, God, I don't know if there's a church on planet Earth that worshiped you as good or as hard as we did this morning, right? And notice, we're all basing that on how it made us feel. Are you seeing this? Okay. So... Feelings without respect for the Lord produces phony and futile worship no matter how it makes you feel. Because worship, now I'm going to, the Lord's kind of tweaking me and maybe I shot a little too quick on this one last week, but it was stirring in me and I just needed to say it, okay? So stay with me now. Last week when I said worship has nothing to do with feelings, I wanted there to be some shock value in that because I think we need that kind of shock value to bring us back into alignment as to what worship really is. It's become so much about feelings and how we feel and how to, how to improve our worship experience. Are you hearing me? I heard somebody say one time, you know, I just expect a whole lot more out of my worship experience. Talking about the church they were attending. I'm like, it's like I didn't even know what to say to that. Okay. So when I say worship has nothing to do with feelings, let me clarify. Worship has nothing to do with our feelings. Okay? Worship is not something we do to make ourselves feel something. It's something we do to make the one we worship feel something. It's about what touches Him. It's about what He experiences when we gather to worship Him. It's about how emotionally He is affected, right? Do you realize a lot of people leave worship services feeling like they really worship God because they felt something and the only thing God felt from that whole experience was frustration, maybe even disgust? Because it was all about us. Do you realize how many people call themselves worshiping God and the song, the Christian song that they're singing is all about them, it ain't even about God. About what they've been through and, and their sorrow and their this and their that. And we give a little token mention here and now to, you know, but God is sovereign. See, again, are you, are you following me? And we, just, we, we leave out of there, oh, it's so emotionally moved, you know, because we cried and we this and we that and we, and we wailed out to God and we, we just purged and dented. And did. That's not what praise is. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not you venting to God. Prayer is not you telling God about your problems. God's, prayer is not about you asking God the questions your problems are asking you. That's not what prayer is. We make it all about ourselves and then wonder why. Well, amen. Worship is not 
something we do to make ourselves feel something. It's something we do to make the one we worship feel something. Why is that? It's because worship is agape-based. It's respect-based. Not philo-based. It's not feelings-based. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these. Romans 12.1, we looked at this last week. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When Paul uses that word beseech, and this is strong, okay, but listen to me. He could not have exaggerated it. If it, it, could, it would not be exaggerated if it were translated, I am on my knees begging you. Okay, I mean, it's, we say, I beseech you therefore, brethren. We just take that so casually. No, no, no. He is like, when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he's saying, I'm on my knees begging you in light of everything God has done for you. To do what? Now, is it because Paul's like in some kind of pyramid marketing scheme and every person he gets signed up to do this, he gets money for or something? No. It's because he has practiced this in his own life and he has experienced the results and he knows that there are results that Father has for the man or woman who's willing to respect him to this extent that will never be experienced in people who value him less than this. I'm on my knees begging you, therefore. The word therefore, see, that takes us all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Romans, which is one of the most thorough, if not the most thorough, written uh, expansion and explanation of all that's been done for us by our Heavenly Father. The grace that's been given to us, that Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners, and that if He loved us while we were sinners, how much more now that we've been saved by His life and been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. He, he was raised to, from the dead, Jesus was, and we were raised together with him, Romans 6. And I could go just, again, study it, read it, search it out. It's, it's, it's phenomenal, all that's there. And so he comes to this 12th chapter now, and he says, now, in light of, ev- in light of all of this, what's he worth to you? In light of all of this, How should you respond to him? In light of all of this, what is he deserving of? How should he be treated? How how should he be respected? In light of what he's done for you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, again, this is is the deferring. This is the preferring. This is is when you, you... hold the door and let him go first. This is when you place him and his ways above yourself. This is when um, having him living through you is more important to you than any other thing uh, this world has to offer. But when he says your reasonable service, he, he's literally saying this is only rational if you think it through. This, this is only a logical thing. It, it, it was, we think this is unreasonable. Paul is literally saying For you to understand what he has done for you, right, it only makes sense. Now see, if you you try to do this, if you try to look at this without the understanding of who he is, who Father is, and what he's done for you, okay, then this is going to sound like an unreasonable request. Paul says, no, it's not unreasonable. It's it's, it's, It's rational. It's logical. 
But this word, this expression, your reasonable service, the English Standard Version has it spiritual worship. The God's Word translation has it, um, uh, again, worship. The New Living Translation says this is truly the way to worship. Notice, all, notice this word worship. And then I'll put this last one on the screen, the Passion Translation. Beloved friends, whatever, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Now, let's. some of you have heard me explain this before, but I think we'll either plant it or water it, depending on if you've heard me teach on this, and I'll try to be brief with this part. But the word worship means to kiss, okay? The word worship means to kiss. And folks who are really strong on philo for the Lord and, and kind of light on agape, you know, that just stirs up all kinds of feelings in them. You know, oh, you know, we're going to give God a kiss. We're going to love on God today, right? We're going to crawl up in Papa's lap and give him a kiss on the cheek. That's not what this means. To kiss in their culture was a, listen to me now, not casual, but formal. In the days ahead, and the Lord's going to help me do this without offending anybody and all that other stuff, okay? But we're going to talk some about becoming more formal. Remember back to with the bathwater of religion, we've thrown out the baby of respect. Okay? And the, the word of the Lord to this family of faith, and I believe it's to others as well, is that we've become a little too casual. Amen. What is, what is casual? Casual is when you don't really take, put much thought into anything. I don't. That's, I said that was coming. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Not trying to scare you away. All right. So, worship then is not a casual greeting. Worship would be a formal greeting, okay, to kiss, right? This, this word to kiss. A formal greeting. And depending upon where the kiss was placed upon the person you're greeting, you're communicating to that person who you believe they are in, listen to this, respect to them, right? So in Eastern culture, two men, let's say they're elders in the city, they're, they're uh, you know, up in years, they're highly respected. When they greet each other, guess what they're probably going to do? They're going to kiss each other on the lips because they're recognizing each other as equals, but one of those men, one of those men's uh, uh, son with him, when he greets his father's friend, he's not about to kiss him on the lips. He's probably going to kiss him on the hand, maybe the ring. Right? Why did he, uh, or maybe the cheek? Okay. All right. I can I can do it this way. The man's son kissed him on the cheek. The man's grandson kissed him on the hand. Why is that? Why are they kissing him different places? 
Because the man who kissed him on the lips says, I recognize that we are equal. The man's son who kissed him on the cheek says, I recognize you as my elder. And his kiss was a sign of respect. The man's grandson who kissed him on the ring says, my father kissed you on the cheek. My grandfather kissed you on the lips. I'm going to kiss you on the ring. And if he's really a humble young man, he may bow at that man's feet and kiss his foot. Why? Because he's communicating with that kiss that I know who you are and I know who I am in respect to you. This is worship. This is worship. What does worship mean? It it means to kiss. But we're not talking about crawling up in Papa's lap and kissing him on the neck or something like that. No, no, see, that, no, 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 see. We, we, see, John the Beloved, he got this. He's laying over, he's sitting next to Jesus and he's laid his head over on his chest. He's not being uh, goofy or silly or weird or strange. He's expressing his worship. So let me give you my definition of worship. Are you ready? Worship is your proper response to God, should be a comma there, based upon who He is and who you are in relationship to Him. Worship is your proper response to God based upon who He is and who you are in relationship to Him. So true worship then Thank you, Holy Spirit. So worship then, let's go back to what we said earlier. Worship is personal even when it's practiced corporately. And true worship is much more than acknowledging who God is with words and songs. Are you... Man. I'm sorry if I'm acting a little... This is... Myself included, none of us have any idea how much is riding on our understanding of this. See, we, there's folks in this room, folks watching me online right now, you've been praying and believing, struggling, whatever, fasting, all this other stuff for breakthroughs in your life and in your family. Remember, we want God to help us with things that we have not given Him place in our lives to help us with. Philo will receive you into thinking you've given God a place in your life and family that you have not given Him. This is the place, right? This is what we're talking about now. True worship is much more than acknowledging who God is with words and songs. There, there are whole factions of the body of Christ that want to fight me over this. Because that's what worship has become to us. It's become joining together with a bunch of other folks and singing songs that we like and, 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 and grooving out, right? Let me tell you what it's become. It's become entertainment. For a lot of people, it's become entertainment. Well, you know, I expect a whole lot more out of my worship experience. What do you need? You need studio musicians? What do you need? You need need a 20-piece orchestra? Before you can feel something? See, true worship is much more than acknowledging who God is with words and songs. Philo for God can acknowledge His greatness, power, beauty, kindness, and mercy for hours on end. We can sing about that stuff for hours and hours and hours and never worship God. 
Go with me to Luke 7, please. Luke 7. You get anything out of this this morning? It's changing my life, I'm telling you. It's changing my life. I had a conversation with, with uh, my nephew Daniel this week, you know, and he and I were talking about some of the things that we've been changing and doing and adjusting in our lives. And, and you know, I told him, I said, Daniel, I've never considered me disciplining myself to sit in front of a computer and write as worship. But it's something my king has asked me to do. And for me to be doing something else instead of that is me being disrespectful. At the least, it's me being disrespectful. You follow this, right? I worship him when I do what he asks me to do. That's worship. Sitting there and before daylight in front of my computer, typing. That's more worship than me standing here with my arms lifted up will ever be. Luke 7. Let's start at verse 36. It's a story some of you are going to be familiar with, but let's hear this in light of what the Lord's teaching us now and see if it won't come alive to you in a different way, okay? And then we'll finish. Luke 7, verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. And Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at Jesus' feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he, so he's saying it in, he's not saying this out loud, he's too big of a coward to say it out loud, he's saying it inside, if this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, this is how Oliver would say it, I need to tell you something. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me there, for which one of them will love him more? Anybody want to guess? <laughs> it's agape. Who will agape him more? Not philo. Not who will have... See, if you, if you only think of love as philo, you'll think, oh, man, well, of course, you know, Jesus, you know, he's got a special place in my heart, man. You forgave me all that loot. You know, no, no, that's not what he's saying. Okay. Which one will agape him more? What did I tell you I want you to think of when you hear agape? Shout it out at me. Which one will respect him more? Which one will be more willing to value him highly and defer to him and prefer him and his ways over their own? The one who obviously was forgiven much. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Again, agape. You remember when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey and they were waving the palm branches and they were laying out the, uh, the, the robes and, and, and their own overcoats for the donkey so the donkey's hoofs wouldn't even touch the ground and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Y'all remember that whole account? And do you remember what the, what the religious leaders said to Jesus that day? They said, silence your disciples now. This is, this is out of order. This is wrong. And Jesus looked at them and he said, if I was to shut them up now, the very rocks would cry out. This is another version of that. Jesus went into the house of a religious leader who did not properly honor him, who did not properly respect him. As a matter of fact, he disrespected him. But when that man disrespected him, where did this woman come from? Why now? Why this place? What made her think she could crash this party? I believe Father in Heaven was like, all right, Mr. Pharisee. If you're not going to respect my son, i got somebody who will. If you don't value him, here's somebody who does. If you don't have enough respect for him to at least give him a little bowl of water to wash the dust off of his own feet, I'll send somebody in there who will show you what it means to properly value the son of God. And buddy, she did it. She did it. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now see, we, if we're not careful, we'll read this story because we, we read it from a philo-based mindset. We think Jesus had already done something for this woman, had already forgiven this woman, had already uh, healed her or blessed her in some way, and so now she's coming in in response to that. That is not what's going on here. She recognized him as being important. She recognized him of, of deserving of respect. She re- Do you realize the most qualified people on planet Earth to know who Jesus was when he got here missed him completely? The religious establishment who knew every prophecy concerning the Messiah, and yet they couldn't put two and two together and, 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 and tie their own shoes to to, to know which way to go when it came to who Jesus was but the people who couldn't even read and write who didn't know anything about the Bible took one look at Jesus and said he's somebody see Philo will have you thinking that this woman came in response because again Jesus did so much for me and oh I've just got this special place in my heart what can I do back for him no she came just because of who this man who Jesus is and was She did this for him. And then we see your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, they ought to learn by now. Anything they say to themselves, Jesus is going to know what they said, right? Who is this who even forgives sins? Right? See, who is this? They don't know. They're not treating him like the Son of God. They don't see him that way. Then he said to her, look at this one right here. Did he say your love has saved you? Did he say your philo has saved you? Did he say your agape has saved you? No. He said your faith has saved you. Faith? Where did this woman make a confession of faith? Where did this woman activate her faith? How is it that, that this act of contrition and worship became faith? Let's go over it again. Agape 
That which you agape, you worship. That which you worship, you serve. That which you serve, you trust. This woman didn't realize she trusted Jesus for forgiveness, but that's exactly what she did. So respect is based upon esteem. Again, esteem is the value or worth you assign to a person. Reverence is personal. It's not just who he is, it's who he is to you. It's not just what he's worth, it's what he's worth to you. Jesus was invited to Simon's house, but he was not shown the respect offered, normally offered to a guest of honor. You got a few more minutes? Amen. See, Jesus was invited. Now, I don't know the motives behind Simon's uh, invitation. I want to be able to tell you that he invited Jesus because he had uh, a fond place in his heart. He was curious. He was interested. He at least wanted to see. I think based upon uh, this man's not a prophet thought is that he's trying to, like Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus was trying to figure out who Jesus really was and, what, and how Jesus was able to do what he's doing. And so perhaps it was curiosity, perhaps it was philo, perhaps he was just trying to, you know, set Jesus up. I don't know. I don't know exactly what Simon's heart and motives were behind this invitation. But what we do know is that he invited Jesus to his house, but he did not show Jesus the respect that should have been offered to a guest of honor. Which means what? It means Simon's, watch this now, Simon's personal valuation of Jesus determined Jesus was worthy of an invitation and meal in his house, but not worthy of proper greeting, proper washing, or proper anointing. Remember, worship is your proper response to who he is and to who you... I feel some of you slipping away. Come on, just stay with me for just a more, few more seconds, okay? A few more minutes. Worship is your proper response, but it's based upon evaluation, Remember in the Old Testament, we looked at this passage out of, out, of, out of Malachi when they were bringing in the, the, the sheep to offer to God that were on their last legs, literally, you know, just about to kill, I mean, carry them in, they're so sick, and that was their offering to God. And God says, why don't, why don't you try serving that to your governor? Why, why, don't, why don't you take what you're offering to me as your God and creator, and, and why don't you try, you know, th- these prominent people that you have so much respect for, try serving that to them as a meal. Simon's personal valuation of Jesus determined Jesus was worthy of an invitation and a meal in his house, but not worthy of proper greeting, washing, or anointing. Worship is a proper response to who God is and who you are in relationship to him. Perhaps the, I don't know, I'm theorizing now, but I think we could all see this, perhaps Simon's anointing jar was getting low and he wanted to make sure he had enough for himself and his family. See, Anointing oil, those things were like currency in those days. These, the, 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 people, would, people wouldn't go put money in a money market or a stock market account. They would buy up these precious uh, jewels and ointments and things of this nature. It would be like their life. Remember, the, remember the, uh, the, the, was it Mary that broke that one uh, before Jesus' uh, crucifixion? And Judas got all incensed about it. Why was this not sold and the money given to the poor? It's because that was basically her life savings. Not in a bank. She didn't go make a withdrawal. She took it in there and broke it and poured it out on him. So those are, in other words, there was some expense involved in anointing Jesus' head.
Jesus was treated equal to or less than everyone else at the table. And my friend, this scenario plays itself out over and over again. We invite Jesus to the table of our lives, but we do not give him the respect he deserves as an honored guest. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. I'm trying to compare two things for you here. Because this is what Jesus ultimately was comparing, right? Simon's valuation of Jesus compared to the woman's valuation of Jesus. Were they equal? Not even close. The woman who crashed the party clearly had an entirely different valuation of Jesus. How do we know that? Do we know that because she said it? Do we know that because she sang some song that says, I value you more than the Pharisees? No, it's based on her response. What she did. I believe she went in there to wash his feet. Because you wash the feet before you put the, the anointing on them. I believe she went to do that to his feet because she figured, I don't know, maybe it had already been done to his head. I don't know. Maybe, we don't know. I wish I, we get to heaven one day, Lord, or show us. We know what we need to know. But, but when there was no water even available to wash his feet, she, she let her tears. And then there was no towel to wipe the, see, they wore sandals and there was no paved streets and sidewalks. So your feet would get sweaty in the sandal. The dust would come up. And your feet would just be filthy and nasty. I'm not trying to be graphic here, but animals using the bathroom everywhere. I mean, it, it, again, you went into somebody's house. It was, you, you respected and honored them by washing their feet, giving them clean feet. Man, Jesus, take care of your own feet, Jesus. She washed them. her tears and with her hair and she kissed him. See, she caught a glimpse. Listen to me now. She caught a glimpse of who he is and was but also who she was in relationship to him. It's what happened to Peter what happened to Peter when he'd fished all night and Jesus said will you just try on the other side of the boat and he said sir I know more about fishing than you'll ever know that's thinking right he says but because you're asking I'll do it he threw the net on the other side of the boat he pulled in more fish boat sink and catch right somebody shout out to me what Peter said in response to that depart from me Jesus I'm a sinful man what happened? He caught a glimpse of who Jesus was. But more than that, he caught a glimpse of who he was at that moment in time anyway in relationship to who Jesus was. We never think of depart from me, I'm a sinful man, as a statement of worship. But in that particular context, it absolutely was. Who I am in relationship to who you are, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. Typically, the anointing would have been on the head and the kiss would have been 
you know, on the hand or something. No, no, not this woman. See, she got the valuation correctly. Father, as we stand before you this morning, help us, Lord, understand the importance of properly valuing you and who you are, your power, your wisdom, who you are to us, what you mean to us, who we say that you are, not just with our lips, not just with the songs that we sing, Father, but that our worship would become true worship, that it would be response, Father, our response, our personal valuation, and then our response to who you are and to who we are in relationship to you, in respect to you. Father, we want to be true worshipers. We want to be men and women who agape you, who worship you, who serve you, who come under you, who put our dependence and place ourselves as dependents upon you and under you, Father, and that we would trust you. We would be men and women who trust you. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just real, real um, solemn moment now, amen, before God. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Mark, I've never received Jesus as my Savior, but I need to take that step this morning. I need to, I need to now is the day of salvation. Never been born again, but this morning is, is my day. Is there anybody in the room who said, Pastor, that's me? Never been born again, but I want, I want to receive this gift this morning. Anybody? Amen. All right, so Father, I thank you for your blessing upon we, your people, Lord, this morning. Father, as the Passion Translation says, we want to be a part of practicing, living, doing all the things that delight your heart. For Father, that is truly the sweet spot of life for you and for us. There's no greater place to live and to be. There's no greater thing for us to commit ourselves to, Father, than the life that pleases you. Help us, Father, understand that that this is how you should be treated. This is how you uh, deserve to be respected. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.